1: Welcome back. Tuesday, September 12th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. I've got Mr. Bill to my north. I've got David Dahl, my producer, to my west. I've got Miss Terry to the occident of even he. Anyone who wants to call in, 602-508-0960, 602 960 A lot to do today. I was thinking about Joe Biden's lie yesterday. That he was at ground zero in New York City the day after September 11th. And my mind went to F. Scott Fitzgerald line from The Great Gatsby. I was amazed at the elaborateness of the lie. And then I thought about something Christopher Hitchens once wrote about Bill Clinton being a pathological liar. He defined it as someone who lies even when the truth would do just fine. And then I went back to look at Joe Biden's comments yesterday in their full context. If you go to the White House website where they post all the transcripts of Joe Biden's speeches and statements and for that matter Kamala Harris's and also Corinne Jean-Pierre's and Jill Biden's, that speech he gave yesterday from Alaska is not posted. It's just not there. Speeches of his before he gave that and after are there. Just not that one. George Orwell's memory hole machine is in fifth gear, it would appear. So let us go to the transcript from CNN. Quote, I join you on this solemn day, he said, to renew our sacred vow. Never forget. Never forget. We never forget. Each of us, each of those precious lives stolen too soon when evil attacked. Ground zero in New York. I remember standing there the next day and looking at the building, and I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell. It looked so devastating because of the way from where you could stand. Close quote. Now, let us notice he said never forget three times and then invoked memory when he said, I remember all of this, all of this to set up a lie about where he was on a memorable day, all of which to set up a lie about a memory. The truth per Hitchens here would have been just fine had he said, I remember going there or standing there a week later, it would have been just fine and taken nothing from his story or the emotion of the moment. The funny thing about all this was anyone who lived in New York or Washington, as I did then, knew what Joe Biden said yesterday had to be a lie. Flights were grounded. And I can assure you on September 12th, Amtrak was not rolling into or allowed to roll into Penn Station any more than could a car drive into lower or anywhere Manhattan. I was reminded of Abe Greenwald's line about Joe Biden. Quote, he lies when he whispers and he lies when he shouts. The president lies about everything from his policy record to his relationship with his son, to his academic credentials, to how his other son died, to how his house nearly burned down to the ground. Biden has told three different lies about being arrested. One, it was for civil rights activism. And another, it was for trying to see Nelson Mandela. And yet another, it was for sneaking into a women's dorm. Lying isn't special. It's the default mode of public debate in the 21st century, close quote. And this is what concerns me most, just when truth and memory are at such discount and at equally such necessity. Alexander Solzhenitsyn famously wrote that we should not live by lies, live not by lies. He didn't ask everyone to be a Mahatma Gandhi or a Martin Luther King, but he did write, quote, we are not called upon to step out ...onto the square and shout out the truth to say out loud what we think. This is scary and we are not ready. But let us at least refuse to say what we do not think. Close quote. Or nod in approval of it. This acceptance of just living among and in lies leads to a societal necrosis and numbness, a becoming a little dead, if you will. Solzhenitsyn would go on to write, "...our way must be never knowingly support lies." Having understood where the lies begin, step back from the gangrenous edge. edge. Let us not glue back the flaking scales of the ideology, nor gather back its crumbling bones, nor patch together its decomposing garb, and we will be amazed how swiftly and helplessly the lies will fall away, and that which is destined to be naked will be exposed as such to the world." Now, of course, a lie about where someone was is different than a lie about covering up tyrannical actions, as Solzhenitsyn was writing of. But let us also recall that lying about what you knew and when you knew it about a third-rate burglary is different than lying about tyrannical actions. And a set of lies about a third-rate burglary is what brought us the universal acceptance that Richard Nixon was a liar who needed to leave office. And the word lie or lied or liar was what would attach to Richard Nixon throughout the rest of his career and life. And promising not to lie was how Jimmy Carter, in large measure, defeated Nixon's vice presidential successor after Nixon's resignation. But do think about Joe Biden's lie, for it's a lie about the memory of something gravely and seriously important and the memory of it. But getting used to lies is the exact enemy of the point of memory, and the enemy of democracy, which can only operate if we are engaged in a pursuit of truth, which is what the entirety of the point of the freedom of the press is, or was, to expose falsehoods, lies, cover ups, and corruptions, which is to say, by bringing truth out into the light. Because we think lying and corruption from government officials matters here. And what Solzhenitsyn knew, as much as what everyone who escaped or challenged communism knew, was that such retrograde and tyrannical regimes could only exist or subsist on lies told by liars. There used to be a bit of shame about it all. The USSR denied violations of human and civil rights and gulags, Just as the Nazi regime created Potemkin villages when international observers like the Red Cross would visit alleged concentration camps. Those, of course, were big lies that covered up massive human depredation and death. So what of littler or littler lies? Well, a lot accepted Rochelle Walensky's encouragements on vaccines because she lied about knowing There were not only adverse effects, but that the vaccines were not preventative of transmission or disease as billed. If she had said the vaccines mitigate harm in vulnerable populations, but do come from some risks or with some risks, as we know she now knew, that would be accepted differently than if she and President Biden said it was a patriotic duty to get vaccinated and that vaccinations will keep all of you from getting, spreading or dying from COVID or that this was a pandemic of the unvaccinated. The mask, vaccination, patriotism, public health nexus subsisted on lies. Bill Clinton kept his presidency because he lied and was able to convince enough people that the lying didn't matter. Of course, it was in a civil rights lawsuit we shouldn't forget. And of course, the Washington Post had a field day with a running count of Donald Trump's lies. There are now some reexaminations of Vivek Ramaswamy taking place because of his evident lies about his own biography. But it still leaves us with the nagging problem of Joe Biden and the recognition that if he said it was raining outside, we'd want to look for ourselves to get independent verification. Jimmy Carter sensed in the American people in 1976 that running against the acceptance of lying was a good and would be a successful thing. His signature campaign speeches contained these lines, quote, I'll never tell a lie, I'll never make a misleading statement. I'll never betray the confidence that any of you have in me, and I'll never avoid a controversial issue, Close quote. Lies can be elaborate, as in the kinds of regimes that stalk the 20th century in europe and they can be seemingly innocuous as in joe biden's about his civil rights arrests but in either case we brush past them too quickly and treat them too casually for now we have a leader telling us nothing is more important than not forgetting a monumental event as he tells a lie about why we should not forget such an event forget means to ungrasp think about that a moment we speak often of grasping the truth We put great importance on that for a reason, and I think slowly and surely a society that gives up on the importance of truth and accepts the slow erosion of it from its leaders will soon lose grasp of what is important and soon lose any grasp or sense of what it is we should expect from our leaders, where the only thing ends up simply being ideology, will, political preference, and any path to get to it, whether it be based on a lie or whether it be based on a truth. Let me pick up on that when we come right back, and we will be right back. I'm Seth Leibson, 602 Welcome back to The Seth Leipsen Show. I was just making the point on political leaders telling us truths, and more often than not, especially with the political leader who lives at 1600 Pennsylvania, telling us lies, and that something very dangerous happens when a lie is accepted and a lie is so casually told because the ideology or the will, the end, if you will, is so much more important than the way of getting there, the truth of the matter in the first place. If the only thing that matters is ideology and we're willing to accept lies in order to empower one set of values over another, how will we ever know if we are accepting or supporting values that are true or even accurate? How do we know if we're living in a real world with values that we actually esteem or think we do if we get to them via lies? or if they themselves are lies. In other words, how do we make decisions we have confidence in at all if we no longer can ensure that the decisions are based on accurate information? This is what happens when we accept lies. We accept things that simply are not true. Consider, last month, one example. Several GOP candidates for president on the debate stage said the Democrats accept and support abortion up until birth. Immediately? Former White House press secretary Jen Psaki tweeted, quote, no one supports abortion up until birth, close quote. And yet we have candidate after candidate in the Democratic Party across the country saying they would put no time limits on abortion, including in the third trimester or even after. We have it from Mark Kelly, as we have it from Katie Hobbs, as we have it from John Fetterman, as we have it from every Democrat who ran for office last year. So how With the sake lie, you embrace a value you may hold when the value you entrust is based on a lie. What makes it a value at all? What gives it, in other words, any worth? Isn't that what a value is? Something that has worth? When it simply is not true, when it's a fraud, when your decision is based on a fraud, how can you embrace it? Well, this is my concern. The scientist hero in HBO's Chernobyl opened the series by saying, what is the cost of lies? It's not that we'll mistake them for the truth. The real danger is that if we hear enough lies, then we no longer will recognize the truth at all. And I think we're fast going there. I think if not arrested, we are careening toward that very political architecture I'm just now describing. Well, because of lies, Kevin McCarthy has today announced he'll be opening an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. That's the big news out of Washington today. The New York Times headline McCarthy facing an ouster and shutdown orders an impeachment inquiry. Is that how the New York Times wrote about it when Nancy Pelosi ordered an inquiry into the impeachment of Donald Trump? They had shutdowns then. They had challenges within the caucus then. Was it facing an ouster and shutdown? The subtitle to this headline is, The move against President Biden, which Speaker Kevin McCarthy had been signaling for weeks, comes as some far-right House Republicans are irate over spending and threatening to depose him. Do you really think that Kevin McCarthy is worried about four congressmen? trying to call on him to step down from his leadership where there's no one else available to take the position? The first sentence of the story, Speaker Kevin McCarthy on Tuesday opened an impeachment inquiry into President Biden working to appease far-right lawmakers who have threatened to oust him if he fails to accede to their demands for deep spending cuts that would force a shutdown at the end of the month. Mr. McCarthy's decision to unilaterally announce an impeachment investigation with no formal House vote entwined the Republican investigations into Mr. Biden with the funding fight that is rattling the Capitol. It appeared to be a bid to quell a brewing rebellion among ultra conservative critics. Are we far right or ultra conservative, by the way? And is there any Republican you know for the Republicans in this audience? Is there any Republican you know who didn't think Joe Biden was setting himself up for an impeachment inquiry? Is this just an ultra-conservative, as the New York Times put it, or far-right quest? Or have there been statements by every Republican you know that if they can impeach Donald Trump for a phone call to Vladimir Zelensky that Vladimir Zelensky didn't think was problematic— then maybe all these lies about Joe Biden and his corruption and his wealth based on denials that have been proven to be non-factual by whistleblowers of great credibility, where even reporters like Jake Tapper are saying there appears to be something to these charges, Jake Tapper of CNN, where even people like that are saying that, that maybe an impeachment inquiry is Quite honestly, the most quite natural thing to do right about now. I don't know that it has anything to do with the funding wars. The funding of the government wars. Fights. Battles. We're going to go through that battle. We're going to tie ourselves up in knots over it. There's no great word... in the the world of political hyperbole to describe the spending situation we find ourselves in. But do tell me how it's going to look if the government is shut down over a spending battle in the House of Representatives when the Senate is controlled by Democrats and won't approve it. You tell me about the wisdom of that. You tell me who's going to win that one. You tell me who's going to win that one when you have the history of every spending government shutdown in history since the 1990s and who's won that one it's worth having a good fight about it's worth having a good effort on but do you really think kevin mccarthy thinks that's not coming anyway do you think kevin mccarthy thinks by opening an impeachment inquiry it's going to stop the fight over the budget do you think it's going to quell Matt Gates? He was already giving a speech irrespective of what Kevin McCarthy said today about challenging the leadership position Speaker McCarthy is in. I understand that a lot of people don't think Kevin McCarthy is that bright, but he's not that dumb. I think it would be the sense of almost the entire caucus with the handful of congressmen maybe four maybe five who don't want an impeachment inquiry that the entire rest of the caucus does want. There can be objections over it, of course, for practical and political reasons, like how will it come out and what will be the end of it and who will be the political winner and who will be the political loser. I myself am for it. I myself think that this is the only way we're going to be able to use any leverage whatsoever in exposing the Biden corruption scheme to the rest of the people that are like the Three Asian monkeys that want to hear, see, and speak no evil whatsoever. I don't know how else you expose it. Joe Biden continues to deny it. His Praetorian Guard continues to deny it. And yet we have the evidence all around us that there is more than a smoking gun. Okay, I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Dombrowski is our guest. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. He brings us our culture and economy update. And you can uh, reach out to him and learn more about Grand Canyon Planning, of course, as well at his website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Happy Tuesday, John. Hey, Seth. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Happy to be in America. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, but it's a little less happy. <laughs> If you're the middle class. This morning, uh, Steve Moore wrote, the Census Bureau annual data on medium household income will be released, and it has been. It's the gold standard, he says, of data on annual economic Mm -hmm. progress. And um, it was the third, if I'm reading rightly, from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, It says U.S. incomes fall for third straight year, hit household finances, rapid price increases, hit household finances, cutting inflation, adjusted median income, $74,580, to $74,580, yes?
2: Yeah, you know, I've, I, we've seen definitely, um, you know, a rise in uh, inflation, which even if you see a household income increase, which we haven't really, but if you have, it's still not going to keep up with inflation. So right. during the Trump years, when we had that $6,500 real increase in median household income, um, there was no inflation. So that was right to your bottom line. I mean, that was money that you had, excess money to be able to, you know, do whatever, you know, you needed to do to support your family. Mm -hmm. Uh, today, some people have gotten increases, obviously, but not everyone. Um, and even if you have, it hasn't kept up with inflation. And that's been a real challenge. And it's getting, it's obviously more and more difficult. And we're seeing the decline in real household income over seven, you know, over several uh, quarters here.
1: Yeah, uh, as Steve Moore put it very graphically, uh, real median household income was up six thousand four hundred and eighty-three during the Trump years, twenty sixteen right. to twenty nineteen. Americans' wages down four thousand. Under Biden, um, he said, "If it is a Trump versus Biden matchup, the question ought to be the Reagan question: Are you better off than yeah. you were four years ago? Right? I mean, that is the natural uh, question uh, to be asked. It's a pretty, it's a pretty it's simple question yeah. to just ask. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think and a lot of people
2: question. realize. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people are feeling it, yeah. and that uh, hopefully is going to, you know, be a turnout in the polls and." Uh, and we can see some real change here moving forward.
1: Yeah, I I, I hope so. Um, the the attempt to arrest inflation through the actions of the Fed is that just going to take some lag time? Is that what you would call lagging action? Because it hasn't. Yeah, shown I, up I yet? believe so. Yeah, yeah,
2: I believe so. We've seen a decline in, in the inflation um, numbers over the you know number of past months, uh, which is good. Uh, but there's always that you know concern as we're seeing gas prices go up again here. Why? I mm-hmm. mean, what you know, we should. <laughs> that's it's just well, yeah. No, that's a, that's Fathomable. a great
1: question. I was driving. Yes, I was at a red light, and I saw. The digital price for gas changed by two cents while I was at the stoplight. And no one's talking about it. Isn't that interesting?
2: No one's talking about it. And I'm like, why not? I mean, this is a real issue that faces everybody right now. And and again, as we know, we had our uh, energy secretary who was going to be doing their national tour with an electric vehicle. Yeah, that probably heard the story about. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So. uh,
1: (laughs) Someone said it was right out of uh, an episode of Veep. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen that series. But yes. e- everything that could go wrong did. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. Um, but by their own, you know, yeah. by their own actions. Right, right,
1: right. You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing that you are probably used to hearing is: as things are volatile heading towards an election, right. should we start thinking about pulling out uh, from the markets? And you've been you've been a steady advocate of let's not base these kinds of decisions on temporary political political news stories
2: yeah it's almost uh investing emotionally when yeah. you think about it yeah. you know and that's not a good way to invest no. right we want to invest based on fact and, and based on information that we believe is uh going to give us the best uh opportunity to make good educated decision when it comes to our investing and just because you're in fear of uh you know a, one party or another taking over the white house uh is not necessarily a good uh formula for your investment strategy yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and that would be that would prove to uh you know i could prove that by looking at when uh, biden was elected uh-huh. um, the stock market did not cr- crash that's right initially mm-hmm. okay we did eventually have a pullback in the markets last year in 2022 but in 2020 and 2021 we had really good um years uh for the stock market uh so there was reasons we saw for the market when it pulled back in 2022 but if you were, uh, you know, one of those who maybe was, was concerned over the election results in 2020 and you pulled out of the market, you missed a, a tremendous amount of, uh, opportunity when that market rallied after the election.
1: Yep. No, nope. You've been very good about, uh, showing that data with us every time this issue comes up. John, thank you so much.
2: You bet. And as always, people can go to our website and request an appointment with me at um, Securities and Advisory Services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of finra Sipkin and an Investment Advisor Grant Canyon Planning.
1: Welcome back to the Seth Lipsen Show six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. This hardly got much news at all today, but the six billion dollars we released to Iran uh, officially um, officially was uh, certified yesterday on the very anniversary of nine eleven. And what's interesting about it is about a million things. There's about a million things that are interesting about this. Uh, First of all, that we're engaging in the folly of money and paying off the Dane Guild. We've talked about the Dane Guild before, haven't we? Yes, I think we have. Kipling's poem that uh, we pay for hostages. We would have thought that uh, after that experience in the 80s and every time since, we would have been done with that. When you pay a ransom for hostages, you ensure that There will be more hostages. You will ensure that it pays, which it does, to take hostages. That's point one. Whether it was done in any month, on any date, it would have been at best folly. But it's quite an insult to entry when you do it on 9 11. And then there's yet another insult. Yesterday in Alaska, Joe Biden said, and I quote, terrorism, including political and ideological violence, is the opposite of all we stand for as a nation that settles our differences peacefully under the rule of law. We are going, he continued, we are going to continue to track terrorist threats in all forms, wherever it may be. We are going to continue to disrupt terrorist activity wherever we may find it. Well, those were lies. Those were lies that $6 billion was being released to the chief state sponsor of terrorism in the world. Don't take my word for it. Take Joe Biden's State Department's word for it. And as we were being told that this $6 billion would be used exclusively for humanitarian purposes, all the commentators were saying, well... Since money is fungible, that doesn't mean much. You take the $6 billion you were designating for Hezbollah, the Iran Revolutionary Guards, Al Quds Force, uh, and you just uh, have saved it because you transfer that to the humanitarian side. And yet it gets worse yet. They don't even need to play the fungibility game. We're back to what John Kerry said when he was secretary of state when Barack Obama turned over $400 billion to Iran. And John Kerry was interviewed and was asked, can you ensure none of this will end up in terrorists' hands? And he said, I can't assure that some of it won't end up in terrorist hands. Well, today we don't need to ask John Kerry. And we don't need to ask the current secretary of state, Antony Blinken. We can take it straight from Abraham Raisi, who is the president of Iran. Quoting NBC News, Iranian President Abraham Raisi said his government will decide how it will spend $6 billion in pre- previously frozen funds, and we will spend it wherever we need it. Asked if it would be spent exclusively on the humanitarian purposes for which we agreed it would be spent. He said, no, it is up to us to decide how we spend it. Tell me what part of this on the anniversary of 9-11 and on September 12th isn't salt in an open wound whose cataract grows wider by the day. It is always a temptation to an armed and agile nation to call upon a neighbor and to say, We invaded you last night. We are quite prepared to fight unless you pay us cash to go away. And that is called asking for Dane Guild, and the people who ask it explain that you've only to pay them the Dane Guild, and then you'll get rid of the Dane. It is always a temptation for a rich and lazy nation to puff and look important and to say, Though we know we should defeat you, we have not the time to meet you. We will therefore pay you cash to go away, and that is called paying the dame Guild. But we've proved it again and again that if once you have paid him the dame Guild, you never get rid of the dame. It is wrong to put temptation in the path of any nation for fear they should succumb and go astray. So when you are requested to pay up or be molested, you will find it better policy to say, We never pay anyone one no matter how trifling the cost. For the end of that game is oppression and shame, and the nation that pays it is lost. That's the Rudyard Kipling poem. should be emblazoned on the front of the Department of State and the Department of Treasury. It is always a temptation for a rich and lazy nation. We're not the rich nation we used to be. I worry about our laziness. I worry about our torpor, I worry about our ennui, I, wonder ab- I worry about our sloth, I worry about our acedia, a word that needs to come back. I worry about our not taking serious things seriously and our elevating the frivolous to the critical or the important. which is exactly the lesson that we were supposed to draw from 911 when it happened that we took seriously things seriously and we weren't going to dismiss them anymore it's an important aspect not just for the country but for its people and you know i was talking with uh with a friend of mine yesterday about all this and you know what kind of nation we are today versus what kind of nation we were on 911 or 912 in 2001 and it's really just not that very long a period of time is it 22 years is just not that very long a period of time but something happened to us something happened to us and i'm going to talk later in the show with one of the great american professors of history, one of the great American historians, Wilford McClay. I think he's probably the greatest living historian in America right now. And I want to talk to him about all of this, about what it means to remember important events, what it does for a nation that treats important events casually, what it does to the nation I want to talk to him a little bit about this curious thing we've seen with violence. You know, nine 11 shocked the hell out of us as it would any country as it should any country, but it shocked the hell out of us because we had never been hit anything like that. Pearl Harbor. One might argue was an analog, but of course that was someplace far away and it was an, it was a military strike, which doesn't make it better, but does make it different. And, um, and we, 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 had, we had lived through, through some rather interesting debates that got us to that shock we were in in 2001, where that violence shook us to the core. Today we're living in a time now where violence is just so casually taken, so blithely accepted. It doesn't bother us anymore, does it? Crime should be an issue in this election. It should be a big one. I don't know if it'll have traction because you know what? I don't think we care about violence anymore. What a fast decline as we spend or we watch over the spending of $6 billion that will endow more of it. Be right back. You've heard me talking about Why Refi for a while now. Great sponsor of this show. Great people. You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. It's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed if you invest with. Why refi and their secure and collateralized portfolio? There are absolutely no fees. You can turn your income on or off. You compound it, whatever you like. Think of that freedom. And there's no attack on principle. If you ever need your money back at any time, you get a monthly statement. It comes with no surprises. 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then dot com, or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-24. That's 888-Y-REFI-24. You can visit them in person, too. They're headquartered, blessedly headquartered here in Scottsdale. Scottsdale Road in the 101. Okay, here's another lie we're being told today. Live not by lies. Well, we're being governed by them. Uh, this is uh, Department of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas today.
0: Within that broken immigration system, we are challenged by an unprecedented level of displacement in the Western Hemisphere of historic proportions. We have responded with a model approach that has proven to work, which is to build lawful pathways for individuals to arrive in a safe and orderly way.
1: A model approach that has proven to work for illegal immigrants by building pathways that are legal. How would you be scored, young David, if you uttered that sentence in your high school debate team? I think we need a new metric with proven to work. 7.2 million illegal immigrants have crossed the border under under Joe Biden, including nearly one and a half million getaways who vanished into this country. We have no tracking of them it's the most illegal border crossings on record 1.4 million gotaways cities across the country are so overwhelmed that mayors of sanctuary cities are now complaining like Eric Adams and yet this is now a model this is now a model program because we've created legal pathways for illegal activity it's how you get rid of felonies in places like California. You just define upward the amount of money it costs to be charged with a felony. And then you have less felonies or fewer felonies. Hugh Hallman's coming in studio live and we'll both be taking your calls. 602 We shall return.